since you've been so kind as to invite me here and give me this sense of honour and respect by uh, listening to what I'm going to be saying. <laughs> uh, here to remind you uh, some things you're familiar with, I imagine some things might sound different. So build on what you know, what you feel confident in, and if there's anything that seems different, see how that fits in. I'll be talking very much from my experience, practice, study 47 years. So I don't take this lightly and I feel responsible for your welfare to give you advice, guidance in ways that I hope will be for benefit for you. Maybe immediately, maybe things you remember a year later and think, oh, oh, I get it, that. <laughs> because with the nature of this Dhamma and this practice, things go in, you don't quite get it yet, but it sits there. And then maybe sometime when you're meditating later, you think, oh, yes. Ah, oh, that, you know. This is why it's always so, however much anybody teaches you, <laughs> the words only go into your ears, into your heart, and it's there that they will blossom in due course when you're ready, when things are ready for you. So I'll uh, offer some teachings, intention. But please do what you do understand, listen to it carefully, what you're not clear about, take it in mind and see if you can uh, investigate it. And we'll have a questions period at the end of each day to clarify any points that may seem unclear or you'd like to ask me for more details on. So please do make use of the time. Understand that this is non-residential, so you have the... Uh, challenge, if you like, of moving out of here through the street, going back to your home and trying to keep this practice together. But that's good, <laughs> in a way, because you go back to the situation and you can investigate again the way you live your life every day. Why do I do this? Is that useful? Is that necessary? Is that helpful? You know, you get a dip into this and you move out and What's all this about? Oh, you know, you get a chance to reset where you're going, how you're living. And this way of practice is long term because we keep adapting, changing, shifting, learning. And that's the long term development that you get beyond a couple of days of a retreat. Long term developments, how you integrate this practice and teachings into your life and how you shape your life in a way that's conducive to your practice and your liberation. As much of daily life is not conducive to liberation <laughs> if you don't handle it rightly. So one of the things we always have to recommend and uh, make an effort with is quality of sense restraint because it's primarily the way that our attention gets drawn out into what we see 
read about what other people are saying, what's happening in the media. These are powerful, saturating forces that overwhelm us. We get flooded with it. Even a good intentioned person still finds themselves flooded and having to follow the rhythms and the structures and the routines of a society that's not dedicated to liberation, <laughs> but to finances, material materialism. So sense restraint gives you some way of challenging or meeting the pull of materialism, which by and large has people captured by it. Yeah. So taking this to heart, we take to heart what do I really need, what's worth looking at, what's worth listening to, what's not worth listening to, what is actually bad to listen to and take in. We keep this wise reflection, yonisa manasikara, wise, careful, considered attention. This has to be your, your initial and constant guide in your day. Whatever you give attention to, whatever you give attention to, that will go right into your heart. And there are beautiful things to give attention to. And those go into your heart. This is the fact of attention. Attention. Remember this word. What you give attention to means you focus on something. When you focus on something, your mind is directed to that. Just like your eyes are directed towards a particular point. You know, whereas visually we can see everything between my hands, but actually we don't. We see 5% of the time moving around. That's called attention. Same thing with our mind. You know, the mind is focusing on the time, what seems urgent, and focusing like that. It narrows, it narrows our awareness. And awareness, second word I use, is a basic property that comes with consciousness. It means everything we're aware of it. We're aware of it. There's no limit to it, actually, but fundamentally we're aware of sense input, sight, sounds, touches. We're also aware of mental input, thoughts, attitudes, ideas, uh, all that stuff going on there. We, we, we receive it all. So awareness is where sense contact touches the heart. Yeah. Sights and sounds touch the heart through awareness. Comes through the mind, the mind says that's that, and we pick it up. Attention focuses, awareness receives. It receives whatever attention puts there. We receive it. So, you notice, you know, when you 
close your eyes, and so forth. What are you aware of? Perhaps sounds, perhaps feelings in your body. Probably most important will be moods, hopes, anxieties, uh, ideas, aspirations, mental, psychological stuff and emotions comes up. Meditation is the skill of understanding this inner world, moods, emotions, attitudes, good, bad, unskillful, skillful, and steering through that, not getting stuck in it. Steering through, like your boat moving through water. You open the mind up, it's very watery. There's all kinds of waves and tides and currents going on. Meditation is developing the skill to move through that to emptiness, nibbana, which is no phenomena, ending a phenomena. Along the way, clearing through the stormy stuff, the stormy and uh, impressions and moods, irritation, ill will, guilt, regret, pressure, urgency, just clearing through the stuff that really catches and pushes you around. Now, third factor that I bring up, you have attention, which is different from awareness. Awareness is just receptive, attention is directive, selecting something, focusing on it. Awareness is non-selective, it's just what happens. Third very significant factor is called intention, motivation. Some of these are impulses. Many intentions or chetana are kind of automatic. You just, oh, that's that. I have to do that. Belladrum. Oh, there's Susan. Talk to her. Do this, do that. They're just kind of knee-jerk. You understand? Impulses. Some of them are habitual. I've got to do this because it's nine o'clock. I have to do this because it's Friday. It's ten o'clock. I've got to do this. So you've got these habitual intentions, impulses. Yeah. And those, they, they very significant because these direct what we will give attention to. What we give attention to comes into awareness and that becomes who we are, called karma. Every intention, the sum result. The results can be, you would say, external in that we do something or say something, or they can be internal. Because we give attention to this and that and this and that, the result of that is my mind is unsteady. My mind is captured by greed, by delusion, by regret, by irritation, by condemning others, by praising myself. Because I give attention to these things. Then that begins to shape your character. In the direction in life. 
So these three factors, attention, awareness and intention, are extremely significant. This is what we work on. This is what we practice Dhamma for. We start with, okay, let's start right here with intention. The intention to relinquish. To relinquish the unskillful. The intention to support, uphold what is skillful. The intention to keep investigating whether things are skillful or unskillful, helpful or unhelpful. The intention to understand where does stress and dukkha arise, where does it cease. So there's definitely a strong intention in our practice. It's called chanda, motivation. We're aroused, we're interested, we're eager, we want to find out. We keep this going. This is a supportive factor for any wise purpose. Chanda, get interested, get motivated. Now in terms of keeping these eight precepts, these are intentions we establish to limit action and to restrain the senses. We can look at these externally things we don't do. And they're all about what we don't do. (laughs) Refraining from. And as you take it more deeply, you look into refraining from giving attention to phenomena that don't go in line with the precepts. So for example, if we're really interested in harmlessness, we don't give attention to hatred and violence. We look instead at whether are qualities of generosity, loving kindness, and so forth. It's very easy when you look at the newspapers, you see a lot of stuff that's about hatred and violence, aggression and war. Now you may notice this, but it's not something you want to get involved with, taking sides. This is not something I participate in, angry and accusing and blaming and aggression. So we take that precept internally as something to guide what is the most useful thing to give our attention to. All about Buddha, peaceful, reliable, committed to non-violence, committed to harmlessness, towards loving-kindness. Why don't I give attention to that, this quality? We chant to it, we create images of it, and ideally if we are disciples of the Buddha, we take in his example and try to live in such a way. Now, of course, much of life, daily life, is about sense gratification. So here we refrain from taking that which is not given. We're not interested in it. We're not coveting it. We're not looking out for new things other than what's purely needed. We develop also the sense of restraint of sexuality. It's a very powerful impulse that is propagated through the media, fashions, beautification, attraction of this kind. This, this particular 
area is something that's extremely inflamed in people's lives. It's all presented and portrayed as necessary, useful, absolutely happy, and so forth, fun, and so forth. But actually, it leads to a lot of misery. <laughs> sexual abuse, sexual violence, uh, manipulation of people, and then kinds of diseases and so on. And uh, people manipulating each other for sexual advantage. It's really quite a dangerous and seductive area. So, so just refrain from it. And that's the way also even dress in a way that is not really emphasizing anything that's particularly sexual. Just bodies, you know. Simple bodies. Clean, ordinary, simple bodies. You know. So you can hardly even tell what, what sex it is. This kind of body. And that's, that's cool. There's no, no pushing in the mind. There's nothing that pulls or draws the mind in. It's, it's another body, like this one. Pretty much the same. You know, when you come down to it, the physical body is not that great, really. <laughs> when you live in one, right, it hurts, it needs, it gets tired, it requires holding it up and it still is uncomfortable. Then the beauty of this um, meditation practice is, although this is true about the material body, we also have an immaterial body, or called a fine material body, which is to do with the vitality of the body. Vitality of the body. People call it energy, sometimes called the subtle body, or the kaya sankara. This is the vitality that keeps a body alive, vitality that comes with breathing in and out. It's affected by sickness, but it's also affected by tiredness and so forth. But much more useful, it's affected by the heart. So, on the negative side, when we get angry, you can feel that anger in your body, very obviously. Your vitality becomes hot, forceful. When you have a sense of urgency and panic, got to get this done, got to get this happening. The energy in your body goes up into your head, you feel pressure, you feel driven, and you get stressed. These are obvious negative aspects of what your bodily vitality, your subtle body, is affected by. But, the Buddha said, within this, there is the path to happiness and liberation. Because if this is moderated, if this quality, if this area is moderated, it gives you tremendous support and it's moderated by bringing the qualities of the Dhamma into the heart. We have faith. We have loving-kindness. We have determination. And you can feel these effects. These are not just ideas. 
These are effects. So when you experience joy, your body lights up. When you experience calm, your body feels very spacious. When you experience uh, strong inner vitality, your mind enters samadhi. This is the process the Buddha recommended, bringing attention to our refuges and precepts, lingering in the sense of relief that comes with those, the relief of moving out of the world of the hindrances. Whew, like you've come out of a jungle, or you've come out of prison, or you've come out of a disease, when your heart is no longer attacked by pressure, agitation, fear, craving, irritation, relief. It's called the abandoning of the five hindrances. And the joy arises. And that joy arises, we sit with that, and then we breathe, feeling our breathing. And the quality of the breathing catches the vitality of the body, and whatever's in your heart at that time is then given strength. So in this way, the qualities of the heart and the qualities of the vitality, the subtle body, are come together. So then one aspect of your body acts as a tremendous guide and support for liberation. The other aspect of it goes the other way. So then, which is more important? Now, of course, we use the physical body in sitting, walking, breathing, standing, just that to that which is necessary to go into the energy of the body, into the breathing of the body, be aware of it, and then it will begin to have this effect. This is then meditation. You can see how the qualities of the precepts, the encouragement of the qualities of the precepts, affect the heart. It's important to take them not just as rules or laws, but as actually tonics, medicines. Yeah, so the medicine of right speech means our mind is not twisted with gossip, harsh words. How does that feel? When you hear gossip, harsh words, swearing, lying, how does it feel? Pretty ugly, I'd imagine. Even you hear it from other people. Good. And then when you hear words that are true, purposeful, kindly, uttered carefully and with respect, what's the effect of that? We feel cool, we feel steady, we feel confident, we feel safe. And by and large, the world of lies is not a safe world. You don't know where you are. The world of truth is a safe world. You're feeling safe. 
I don't have to be nervous, I don't have to be frightened, I don't have to defend myself, I don't have to prove myself, I'm accepted. Very, very important. This comes with right speech. This is a tonic for the heart. And if you have Kalyanamita, spiritual friends, you know, if I do something wrong, they will not bitterly attack me. They will not spread that, they will not spread that around amongst others. If I do something wrong, they'll look at me kindly and offer support suggestions. They will not just bitterly attack me or spread my name around. And this is the duty of a spiritual friendship. So if we have our defilements, weak spots, blind spots, then spiritual friends can say, oh, sister, brother, is this the case or is that the case? How do you see this? Oh, yes. How does that make you feel? Oh, yes. Ah. Well, here's what you can do about it. <laughs> That's a spiritual friend, not you idiot. <laughs> so these are things we encourage. Now here we're not going to be a lot of talking, but just at least carrying that sense when we group get together in retreat. You know, we've all come together here. We have to cooperate. We also have to make allowances not everybody moves at the same speed as I do. It's not because they're bad, they're just slow or old or uncomfortable. Not everyone can sit still, they have to move around. Or maybe somebody coughs or these things we can get irritated by. It's making allowance not to pick up any ill will, but in fact to make an attempt every day to look at each other gently with a mind of goodwill. May you be well. You've come here for your liberation. You're making commitments to practice. You're putting forth effort. Bless you. I support you. It's much more skillful. Have that attitude in mind. Every day. And every day, wherever I've done wrong, do I acknowledge that? Do I understand why? Do I make an effort to relinquish it? Try again. This way is the way of success. You don't succeed by being perfect. <laughs> you succeed by acknowledging where things go wrong, learning, understanding. This is where you get wise and relinquishing, relinquishing, relinquishing. This is one of the three fundamental skillful actions to relinquish, to let it go, to put it aside, to move on. This keeps you healthy. Otherwise you store up regrets, memories, grudges, which decay in the heart and cause a mess in the heart. So you come here also as a chance when you sitting to people, if you have people in your lives who you feel was difficult, time to learn, look at that, and see if you can relinquish any degree of ill will towards them, or 